What is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. Just getting settled into Minneapolis for X Games 2018. Got my credentials, my swag bag, and a quick tour before some production meetings. Got back to my hotel room, my home, until next Monday. I decided to record this intro a little earlier this week because my schedule is jam-packed. Rehearsals all day Thursday. Friday and Saturday, I'll be the live event announcer for all Freestyle Moto X events. Then Sunday, I'll be the color analyst for all flat track events. Sunday schedule looks like this. 9 o'clock to 11.30, Harley-Davidson flat track racing and Harley-Davidson hooligan practice and seating. 11.30 to 12.30, Harley-Davidson Hooligan Racing Round 1 and Semifinals, streaming live on Facebook. 12.30 to 2 p.m., Harley-Davidson Racing and Harley-Davidson Hooligan Racing Final, live on ABC, all times Eastern. There are some changes in the format, which we'll be sure to detail in the broadcast. The main thing is there will be six riders in the main events. Some other notable differences from X Games past will be the location of the track, moved indoors this year, and the track itself will be considerably smaller. I posted the entry list earlier this week of all the professional riders who were invited to compete. I could spend the entire episode talking about each one of them, but I'll hit on just a few of my top picks. Henry Wiles, Johnny Lewis, Jared Meese, Briar Bauman, and Jeffrey Carver are the guys I think you'll see leading the field. I wouldn't be surprised to see anyone on the list walk away with the medal. X Games tends to be the biggest wildcard event each year. I also wouldn't be surprised to see riders jumping on bikes you don't normally see them race during the AFT season. The track and rider comfort will play a big factor on the rider's decision on which bike they will ride. Some might likely choose the XR750 as they tend to be the better bike of choice for handling the tight corners. This week we thought it would be a good idea to get to know another member of the flat track community. He no longer is competing at the national level, but you may see him ride a Botaco Astro from time to time. He is one of the founding members of the Class of 79 and Friends, a charity which has helped several injured riders in times of need. Let's get to know a little bit more about Charlie Roberts himself. Hey. Who's this? That's Charlie Roberts. What's going on, Scotty? This is number 64 in your program, number one in your heart. <laughs> That's me. Charlie uh, Roberts. Hey, man, thanks for your time so much. I know you're busy. Got a lot of stuff going on right now. Uh, let's get to know uh, Charlie Roberts, and then we're going to talk about the Class 79 and friends and what you guys do for flat track. So uh, first off, um, where were you born? Springfield, Illinois, the mecca of flat track motorcycle racing. And, and you've lived there your whole life? Pretty much my whole life, Scotty. I did live in Virginia um, as a rookie expert. I was kind of drafted by Johnny Goad, and uh, I moved to Virginia um, while I was riding for Johnny. And uh, then a short stint in Ohio when I rode for Skip Eakin, and then back to home, Springfield, Illinois. Man, that is amazing. I, I, I guess... I wouldn't know what it's like to grow up where there's so much racing around. I mean, Oklahoma City, we had the Oklahoma City Half Mile for a little while, and, and now we've got the Oklahoma City Mile, which is nice to have. But you guys get uh, a lot of racing close by home. Absolutely. I mean, as a, as a novice, um, I was able to race about five days a week uh, within a couple hundred miles from home. Wow. How did you get into motorcycles? My father bought a motorcycle shop, a Yamaha motorcycle dealership called Robert Yamaha in Taylorville, Illinois in 1966 when I was five years old. Um, and then the, the business grew um, considerably and he started uh, the construction of Robert Yamaha in Springfield, Illinois in 1970. And it just, uh, it, it grew from there. Um, and in 1975, uh, Robert Yamaha sold more 650 Yamaha XS 650 Yamahas than any dealer in the country. So dad was a pretty, uh, pretty reputable Yamaha dealer. Um, I started racing mini bikes. Actually, my first race was at six. Uh, I believe my first race was on a Briggs and Stratton with the wheelbarrow tires. Uh, progressed from <laughs> yeah. that to what was called a Maverick. Um, a Maverick was like a Taiwanese Yamaha. It had fold down handlebars like a mini trail. Um, and then luckily for me, Yamaha came out with the JT one, I believe in 1969 was the red one. And so, 
I guess you could say I was kind of a Yamaha brat because I had a JT1, then I had a GT1, then I had an MX100B, then a YZ100C, and um, pretty much one of every motorcycle that Yamaha made that had an application to flat track. Wow. So, that's that's cool. So I got to know, are you related to Kenny Roberts? Because he was in tight with Yamaha as well. Kenny calls me the other Roberts, and I my favorite Kenny Roberts story is that uh, uh, Ronnie Jones, also founding member of the Class 79, is probably my biggest nemesis, my best friend, uh, <laughs> mentor, advisor, Henri, whatever. Um, Ronnie and I were together on my bachelor party uh, when I was before Vernon and I got married, and Kenny called and he said, "I want to talk to Chaz." And he always, he calls me the other Robert. So he says, is this the other Roberts? And I said, yeah. He said, I want to give you a little advice about marriage. He said, it's like groove racing. He said, just like when you think you got it all under control, you're in the hay bales. He said, hang on, Jazz. <laughs> so, so that's, that's my favorite Kenny Roberts story. That is awesome stuff. So uh, let's get back into motorcycle racing. Um, what was your first number on your first race bike? Do you remember that? My first number was number three, and uh, I still actually have that number plate. Um, I think at that time, plastic plates came from, like, Webco, or there was a company that Dad used to get. You could get number plates and stickers from, and I, had the, I still have that square number with a bubble three, and then we went somewhere to an amateur race somewhere, and I was required to put an X on it. And I, I did it with black tape, and you can still see the marks from the razor blade where I kept trimming the X to get them straight. Um, and like I said, I feel very blessed. I, I still have that number plate in my possession. So why were you number three? I, I, can't, I can't even answer why it was, but I'm kind of tickled or honored that it was number three. That's cool. So did you did you have a nickname right now? I know Ronnie Jones calls you a Flash with a you know, he, like, he likes to stretch it out a lot longer than that. Do you have another nickname? Yeah, or is it just Flash? Uh, oh, I was always Chaz Racing, C H A S Chaz, okay. um, which is just just shortened up Charlie. So I guess that was kind of my uh, stage name or my that was always my race name, Chaz Roberts, because when I when I started as a novice, Scotty, I was one of the first professional motorcycle racers to ever have a, a full-fledged press kit and um alan dixon was the gentleman that put that all together and it was it, we called it Chaz roberts racing and then uh, i used to walk into the grandstands and we'd print flyers and he had a somebody gave me one the other day which is kind of cool because it's from 1976 but it said secrets on what makes Chaz roberts fast and then it had all of the sponsors neil keen uh performance products and TJ one lubricants and Malcolm Smith and all of the different people that supported me in my early racing career. That's cool. So, so, so when yeah. you were getting good, when, when you're first getting going, what riders did you look up to? Well, I mean, just like Ronnie, you know, every one of us had the same dream, Ronnie Jones, Wayne Rainey, Scotty Parker, Tommy Duma. And he, I mean, you can go on down the road to Chris Carr and so many others, uh, since our group, when uh, when on any Sunday came out, and I, I talked to Chris Carter earlier today, and I told him fifty laps, wire to wire, the new Grand National Champion, and Gene Romero shaking that bottle of champagne and the cork popping, and I mean from that second on, we were all hooked. I mean that was a, uh, you know that was the end game or that was the goal was to be the Grand National Champion. And, you know, like I said, many have had that as a goal or a dream. Very few get the privilege of experiencing that actual goal or dream. But I'm certainly not disappointed that I chose that path and uh, gave everything I had to try to achieve it. Yeah. So I think, you know, part of that goal and dream is is the experience that goes along with it, Charlie. I think, you know, that's my greatest memory is going to all the races I went to, all the miles in the van with my dad, you know, sometimes traveling with other riders and stuff like that. And then you get to the racetrack and you hang out with your friends every weekend. Can life get any better than that? Well, exactly. It was the lifestyle. Ronnie Jones and myself traveled together 
as novices. We met the first time in Daytona in 1977. And I'm like, who is this cat? He had all red and white. Everything was color matched. He rode for Dennis Latimer's Motorcycle Supply. And he had a pair of red, white, and black Yamaha uh, factory leathers that were similar to Steve Baker's. Um, His motorcycles were all red, white, and black, uh, Yamaha striped. Uh, He was riding a Star Racer, which I, I was too. And I mean, I looked up to these guys because Prior to Daytona in 1977, that was the first race that I actually got on a 250. My mother was trying everything she could to keep me out of the sport and just was adamant that it was not going to happen. Um, So she kept me. I rode a 175 my last year amateur, 1976. I was actually the Grand National Champion in the 100 and 175 class. And then we went to Daytona. So... David Bradley, Ronnie Jones, uh, uh, Johnny Winsowentz, uh, there was a really fast kid from Michigan, Brian, Brian Barnard, 115X. And so we get to Memorial Stadium. There's 300 novices, and uh, the guys that I just mentioned, those were the guys that rose to the top on that day. And I didn't make the program, I'm, to be totally honest with you. I, was, uh, I wasn't in their caliber, so I was in all. Um, and that started the friendship, uh, with Ronnie Jones. Well, then we came back to Illinois and got on a good old Illinois half mile at Henry, Illinois, my first race ever with a Goodyear Eagle DT two dirt track tire. And the thing would actually pull the front wheel coming off a of turn four. At that time, Henry was a big old wide groove. And, uh, I won my first half mile after Daytona by over a straightaway in Illinois. And at that time, every race we went to, there was a 175 novices. So usually 15 heats of 10 or 11 riders. Not only did you have to win your heat, but you had to win one of the 12 fastest heats or you loaded the motorcycle up and went home. Yeah, that, um, that, that, that's, so that's it, crazy. Yeah, but, I, uh, I remember I remember watching, you know, going to Sturgis, you know, was my, my biggest experience as a young kid, you know, watching you know, all these guys coming through the ranks and, and the pits were just totally full. And, and like you said, you had to win your heat race, but then you could still load up and we'll see you the next day or down the road. I mean, you had to be the fastest 12 at Sturgis even, you know, growing up. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of riders back then. And I think a lot to do it was, was that movie on any Sunday, like you said. And then I think there was not as much to do back then. I think we're losing some of the riders now because there's so many options and so much stuff out there for entertainment that, you know, people go other directions. Uh, all that being said, you, you mentioned a lot of the big races that you think about. What is your favorite racing memory as a racer? Wow. And, you know, I thought about this earlier and there's, there's many, um, my greatest grand national main event finish. I only podiumed one time in my career. And that was at Daytona to short track the night before the 200, when we used to run at the old Memorial stadium, the old original Memorial stadium. And so after Ronnie and them guys spanked me so bad, my novice year, I kind of made Daytona, a a priority to get better at. Um, and in 1980, I finished second to Hank Scott. Hank was riding the ultralight night frame Kawasaki. Um, and I rode Star Racer Yamahas my entire uh, my entire career on short tracks. In fact, I never ever got to ride a 500 or a 600 on short track uh, because I got hurt and quit uh, the year before that all changed. But uh, so my greatest Grand National finish ever was on the podium, second at at um, Daytona Memorial Stadium. But I think my greatest memory ever would have to be Middletown, New York, as a rookie. Uh, I broke the track record by over a half a second and uh, had a straightaway lead in the heat race um, on the Johnny Goat XR750 Harley-Davidson. I think it was the it was like the second or third race after we connected. We, we, we started working together at Louisville, and uh, we went to Harrington the week after that. And then I think, I'm pretty sure it was the next race, was Middletown, New York. And Cycle Guide magazine was there, and they wrote, they wrote an entire article about that day, and it was called American Dirt. Um, and in the beginning, they they talked about this kid that had it and too young to shave. Uh, just you know, watching him saunter through the pits it looks like a more like a kid at a high school event than a you know just 
that was it was my day, Scotty. I was going to win the national as a rookie expert, um, and unfortunately, didn't go that way. And 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 unfortunately, again, there were there were many days uh, that 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 seemed to be the case. Um, I had always hoped or expected my mark on flat track racing to be in the results category. Um, in my mind, I was better than Scotty Parker and Ronnie Jones and Wayne Rainey. And I'm sure in their mind, they felt the same thing. If you didn't believe that you had no business out there doing it. But, uh, um, so I'd say Middletown, New York was probably one of my greatest, uh, greatest days because like I said, cycle guide magazine was there. They wrote an article on it and they said it was, it was kind of funny because they talked about me passing Jay Springsteen and making it look easy. And that was when Jay was at his, you know, pretty much at his peak. Um, I just, I had it dialed in that day and there was nothing that was going to keep me from winning that race. Unfortunately, I wasn't taking a mechanical failure and in, in, into the thought process, but, but to this day, still one of my greatest memories of flat track racing. I, I think, you know, a lot of times that when something stupid, you know, out of your control happens, and takes you out of a win, you remember those more times than you remember, you know, a win at the half mile down the road or whatever like that. I mean, just some of those things just stick in your mind and you'll, you'll never forget that day. Obviously. No, I had another great day was, uh, Ducoin, Illinois, uh, Corky Keener had gotten hurt, I believe at the Colorado <clears throat> national and Dick O'Brien put me on the factory Harley. My motorcycle broke in practice and Dick O'Brien, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Pick Chaz <laughs> Roberts to ride the factory Harley. Um, this would have been 1980 because Parker won it in 79. And I have a picture of me stuffing Parker going in three and I put him in the semi. So he won the national in 79 as a rookie. This is our second year expert. I'm on the factory Harley. I think he was still riding Klotz Weisko. And uh, I say I stuffed him. I didn't stuff him. I run it in under him and passed him. And he went to the semi and I went to the national. Um, first lap down the back straightaway running second, the transmission broke. It just, uh, Scotty, it, it said, it took me 25 years to realize the blessing that I had, that I got to play with the best of the best. Um, but it, it just, it, apparently it wasn't supposed to happen. I don't, you know, that was a big part of, uh, it took me a lot of years to overcome all that because it's all I ever wanted. So it took a long time for me to realize the blessing that was getting to play with Kenny Roberts, Gary Scott, Scott Parker, Jay Springsteen, Steve Eklund. Uh, you know, I mean, I got to play with the best of the best of the best and what I chose to excel at. Um, and I certainly have no regrets of, of trying or giving it everything that I had. I certainly, the, the results never equaled the, effort or the expectation, I guess I would say. Absolutely. So we've talked about some of the good. So let's talk about, you know, what actually got class 39 started was you were the rookie class of 79. We'll get into that a little bit more who all is involved in it, but, um, you stepped away from flat track after you got hurt. When, when was your injury and what was the severity of your injury when you walked away? And well, I left riding for Johnny Goad in 83, a road from Johnny from 79 to 83. And we had some success, but we had a lot of mechanical failures. Um, and Skip Eakin asked me if I wanted to go to the regional in Oklahoma city in 1983. At that time, Skip was one of the premier XR seven fifty builders. Uh, Lance had been riding for him that year and they were kind of separating. Um, so we went to the regional Oklahoma city, Ronnie's home track, uh, which we had quite a bit of history there. Um, and I ended up second in the main event, which to Gary Scott, that main event that day was basically a grand national championship main event. Honda had brought all of their Bubba was there on the Honda. I mean, everybody was there that day, Ted booty, Gary Scott. I mean, it was a national, I think I got second or third in my heat. And I ended up on the starting line right behind Gary Scott. He chose outside pole on the groove. I was second row right behind him. And I followed him straight into the corner and me and Gary kind of run away from the pack. So, so suddenly I'm on what I believed was the greatest XR 750 in the paddock, 
the Skip Eakinton, Southeast Harley-Davidson. And so Skip was excited. So we're going to go racing together in 84. And unfortunately, what transpired from there was another eight or nine mechanical failures in a row. And then Skip and I split. So I came back home to Illinois. The Illinois State Championship was at Lincoln, Illinois. And most all the racetracks in Illinois were all uh, nice groove racetracks. Illinois dirt, black dirt, clay. Um, which produced a nice, what we called blue groove with traction and throttle control. Um, and Ronnie Jones and myself both, both excelled at, at groove racing. Um, set fast time, come past the start and finish line, go into turn one, and the guy that qualified ahead of me is running 10 mile an hour right in the middle of the groove. So it was T-bone him or try to go around him. Well, the problem with most of the Illinois grooves is that when you run off the groove, you're going through the fence or, or it's just not going to work out very well. The thing went sideways to the lock, high-sided me, broke my clavicle, uh, my shoulder blade, scapula, just destroyed it. It high-sided me and slammed me on my right side and broke my shoulder and my collarbone and just um, pretty severely injured. But worse than that, uh, the motorcycle high-sided and flipped and flopped. So I spent the next, from that day, until the fall Springfield mile, working and getting every penny I had together, healing, putting the motorcycle back together and coming back to the Springfield mile, which was my hometown. Um, at that time you had to get third in the heat. I got fourth. You had to get second in the semi and I got third and you had to win the last chance race. And I got second. Somebody came over and offered me more money than was reasonable for my Harley and I sold my motorcycle and tried to become a normal human being. Oh, wow. I guess I, I never really realized how all that transpired, but you know, it's kind of, kind of sad, but you know what, Charlie, everything happens for a reason, like we've talked about. And it, it led you later on in life to do things that are better for the sport of flat track. And now you're still involved. You, you go to, a, you know, almost every race. And so, Let's talk about the Class 39 and Friends because the Class 39 was the rookie class coming into the professional ranks. It was Wayne Rainey, Scotty Parker, Tommy Duma, John Wintowicz, Ronnie Jones, and yourself. And then along you add in Jackie Mitchell and Lance Jones, who are the friends because it's Class 39 and Friends. You tell us the story of how the charity actually got kicked off at the very start. When they honored Kenny, the other Roberts, at Indianapolis <laughs> in 2009 – um, it had been 30 years since we were all rookies. So 79 to 39. So I believe it was Gary Von Voorhees, someone from cycle news called and said, Hey, we want to do a story called, where are they now? Because originally in the winter of 78 prior to Daytona, every year cycle news did a story called the rookies. And it talked about the upcoming class and talent of what was coming into the sport at that time. And it, it was kind of likened to the NFL or the, or the national baseball league or whatever. There were so many talented people coming up and into the ranks and people kind of wanted to look at that group and, and, you know, see what the expectations were. So we were one of the most highly anticipated groups coming into the sport. And so again, cycle news did an article on it. Dave Despain also did an article simultaneously in the American Motorcyclist. So here we are 30 years later, and, and the story was, where are they now? Well, Scott Parker went on to be nine-time Grand National Champion and break every record in dirt track motorcycle racing with 94 wins um, and nine Grand National Championships. Wayne Rainey went on to be three-time World Champion, which we don't know how many that might have been had not been for injury. Uh, but he certainly set his mark. Um, Ronnie Jones at that time in 09 was the only rider in the history of the sport to make a national in, I believe at that time was four decades, made the first one in 79 and then the eighties and then the nineties and then to 2000. Um, Tommy Duma had stayed involved in the sport and was actually creating some jewelry and different things for flat track. Um, so they interviewed the four of us in front of 10,000 people at the Indianapolis Mile, the same night that Kenny rode the TZ at, I believe at that time, he was 59 years old. Valentino Rossi was there, uh, the full Yamaha factory, because it was also around the MotoGP at Indy. Pretty big night. 
And again, they interviewed the, the five of us, Tommy, Ronnie, myself, Wayne, and Scotty. Johnny Winslow, Winslow, unfortunately, was not there for that. And I'll never forget because there was flash bulbs going off in our face, and it was like I was like starstruck. And I looked at Scotty, and I said, and Scotty and Wayne, I, I whispered to him, I said, man, maybe you guys are, are used to this. I said, it's kind of cool. I'm not, you know, now I kind of know how it feels. So that was certainly a, an awesome night. Um, but we had all remained friends. We'd all stayed in, in contact with each other. We talked on a maybe once a month um, with Wayne and Scotty. But my whole life, I've talked to Ronnie Jones at least once or twice or eight or ten times a week. I mean, Ronnie and I talk every single day. Uh, same with Duma. Jackie had organized a golf outing, so we we played around the golf. Well, lo and behold, Parker wins and uh, threw all the money in the in the center of the table and and said, "Let's do something." I guess him and Tommy were golfing together, and uh, they kind of said, "Let's let's do something for the sport or give something back to the sport." So all the money was thrown in the center of the table, and we opened a bank account. We called it the Class of '79 and Friends, and the charity was born in 2009. Tom Seymour with Saddleman Seats and Saddlebags has been there from the get-go as well. Absolutely, yes, because he was he was there that for that original golf outing, and he was there for that when the money was thrown in the, the table. I mean, Tom has been here since the inception. That's awesome. So. I I uh, I remember that night especially too because I was actually the the one that got to interview you guys on the stage, and then I got to interview Kenny. When he got off that motorcycle, actually still sitting on that motorcycle in that front straightaway, where it was a mob of people, and I, I actually felt like a rock star myself. So uh, I've got a really good picture of that, and I, I'm sure that's the picture we're going to use for this podcast. But uh, super special night. Uh, other people that help out in the Class 39 Friends, of course, your wife, Verna, uh, your kids, you know, little Charlie Roberts, you know, little Flash was, you know, selling 50-50 tickets at the last race in New York. And then Rhiannon, she goes to some of the races and helps out at the, the tents. And then I think a big a big thanks should go out to Tammy Richmond because she she does a lot of stuff and she goes and gathers you know items and and gets things autographed for you guys. So I mean, there's a lot more than just the class thirty nine and friends. There's other people that help out too. And I know that I'm not I'm not even t- you know t- talking about everybody, but I think you know the most important people are you and your family, uh, and then of course Tammy Richmond. Absolutely, Tammy has been involved with this from day one. Tammy actually, when we started talking about the class 79 or i guess we made an announcement that it was you know that it was coming to be suddenly all these pictures started coming up on social media and they were pictures of all of those guys as kids and it was like and they were all posted by tammy richmond so we all start calling each other and everybody said hey who's this tammy richmond and it's like dude she has pictures of us i mean she had pictures of us from kodak instamatics i mean from Truth was, she was just a huge and enormous fan. Tammy loves flat track racing as much or more than any one of us. So when I finally got to hear the story, she used to travel with, I think, her her uncle and her cousin to flat track races. And she just became a, a lifelong fan. Well, little to knowledge to any of us, uh, she was following the class of 79 before they were even the class of 79. So... So all of this history was preserved from our childhood. Uh, like I said, pictures of a 16- and 17-year-old Wayne Rainey, who was the original California kid, or the Italian stallion Ronnie Jones with the cookie duster. And, you know, just so <laughs> she has kind of, uh, she has detailed our history and our story. Um, it's like all, like you said, everything happens for a reason. For some reason, Tammy gathered all of that information when we were kids and had it all to help uh, help tell the story. So Tammy is certainly a, a huge part of this, and she works hourless hours and hours each and every week. Um, people have no idea of the amount of work that she does. Um, any and every donation that's made that comes through electronically online, she tabulates all that stuff. She keeps it on a spreadsheets and transfers all that information to the bookkeepers for to keep the special funds straight and uh, uh just i can't tell you the amount of hours and then at every race tammy spreads goodwill she takes pictures of the entire paddock and of, of all of the event um like you said she gets merchandise signed she collects merchandise um she, she loves this with her heart and soul and the class of 79 would not be what it is without tammy richmond 
Absolutely. So the class 39 for Ange is, is, is great for the sport of flat track. You actually help, you know, help riders when they're at time of need and that's when they get hurt racing in our sport or, and, you know, you help out the families and, and whatnot too. But, uh, a big award was given to you last year at the uh, American Flat Track Awards Banquet in 2017. You were honored with the Brentlinger Award of Excellence, and I think that was the second time it had been handed out. Stevie Smith, who's been on our podcast before, received the first one, and you got the last one. Can you tell me what that meant to you to receive that? I can't. I mean, Scotty is probably one of the coolest things that that has ever been done. When, the, when you're recognized by your peers and they attach the word excellence to what you're doing. It's, it's pretty special. And, um, Daryl Brittlinger is one of the, one of my favorite people in the whole world, him and his brother and his, and his nephew, Tyler were certainly a huge part of American flat track. They worked at every event and Tyler grew up his entire life. He grew up in the sport of American flat track, but again, to receive that award, and 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 have the word excellence attached to what you're trying to accomplish uh, is a memory that I will always cherish, and certainly probably one of the most important awards that I've ever received in my life. Absolutely, just as I think that's just as good as winning a Grand National, getting that Grand National trophy. So congratulations on that. Uh, usually we talk about what happens in the off season with our riders when we have them on. So between 17 and 18, a lot of changes happen for the Class 39 and Friends. You got a lot of new sponsors. You got a new van. Indian Motorcycle donated a bike for you to raffle off. And we just found out recently before the Springfield race that you have a new warehouse, which actually was your father's Yamaha shop. And that's where you're now housing you know, all the memorabilia that you have for auction and for sale. And that's actually where the after party is going to be at when we get to the Springfield Mile this fall. Absolutely, Scotty. The, uh, the motorcycle shop that I grew up in was my father's motorcycle shop. I purchased as rental property from my father. Um, there was a furniture store here, and we, we talked about this a little bit earlier. That's where we had our uh, we had an open house during the Memorial Day Springfield event. You know, the class of '79 and friends exist from charitable donations, kindness, and generosity of American flat track fans, but also of riders, companies, and this this thing kind of grew organically, and it was actually in the garage of our home, a two and a half car garage. At the end of last year. We could no longer get in or out of our garage. There was literally stuff packed from floor to ceiling uh, in the entire garage. In fact, when we moved it all to this building, we filled 3,000 square feet, which which was in our whatever, 1,200-square-foot garage. So it took me and Tommy Duma three hours after the Springfield Mile to get it all back in there because it would only, it was kind of like packing a race van. Remember when you had four XR750s <laughs> in your van yeah. and, and you were the only one that could load it? Yeah, because well, it has to go in one way. <laughs> so, it only fits in there so, one way. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there was a furniture company that was renting the entire Yamaha shop, which used to be my father's uh, business, um, and they moved out to a newer, nicer building. So the charity was able to uh, start renting a small portion of the building just to house our stock and all of the donations and the T-shirts that we buy to raise money and other things. Well very, very quickly filled up that. And then we overflowed into the showroom. Um, and then with the Springfield mile coming up, we talked about having an open house, um, which, which we did and was very, very successful. So we started filling the second showroom. We ended up filling 4,500 square feet with flat track memorabilia. We currently, I think have nine or 10 sets of leathers, probably 20 helmets, um, that were donated. We have Scotty Parker's rookie expert leathers. We've got a set of Wayne Rainey's Marlboro gear, um, just some unbelievable artifacts from our sport. And then all of the photographers that donate stuff to our organization, I believe we have 250 pieces of framed motorcycle images and art going back to the seventies with Ray Ninnis, who was a cycle news contributor, pictures of Moorhead as a as a junior, Springer as a novice, and then right on up to modern day stuff from Tom Stein and Dave Honig and all of the people that are so generous to, that actually make this happen. Because without the donations and without the kindness, none of this is possible. Absolutely. So all that memorabilia you're just now talking about and all the pictures and everything, 
that is all for auction or is it up for bid? I mean, I know when you have the, the, the party in the fall that people can actually buy it right there on the spot. But you told me at Lima you have a new way that you can bid on things. Can you tell me that again? We're, we're trying to put together a nationwide um, live auction. Um, when Jethro Halbert was injured at Rapid City years ago, we decided to try to do the first and, and what I thought at that time was the coolest thing that we had ever done. Jethro had a little boy named Caleb when he was injured. Caleb was one years old. Unfortunately, Jethro succumbed to his injuries after a year of being in a coma. And so our goal was to try to do something for Caleb. And out of the love of the fans for his father, we did a live nationwide auction, and we were able to raise over $30,000, and we started an educational trust fund for Caleb Halbert, Jethro's little boy. It is currently being overseen or managed by an investment corporation, and it is an educational trust fund. And they claim that when Caleb is ready to go to school, that his uh, college education is going to be paid for. So. Man. That was awesome. one of the first major accomplishments that you know that we were able to do as the charity. So we're trying to do that same exact format for uh, Parker Norris, and we are collecting memorabilia each and every week. Riders are donating. Many riders have stepped up. Brad Baker, Davis Fisher, Dustin Crow, Johnny Lewis just sent me a message. He's sending a set of leathers. I got a message today from Brian Smith that he's doing some house cleaning and he's sending some items. We're going to have another one-of-a-kind live nationwide auction of flat track memorabilia. Now, like you said, the, the items that are here hanging on the walls, everything that we have is, is for sale to raise money for riders. Uh, sometimes we sell things on the spot if somebody's fair and reasonable and they make an offer. Um, we also have auctions each and every week on Facebook, which is another one of Tammy's responsibilities. Number plate auctions. This week, there is an actual team shirt from Bartels Harley-Davidson that Jay Springsteen wore at the races. Um, it's autographed, so we've got a Springer collection out this week. A lot of cool stuff. There's actually there's a Camel Pro jacket that was donated by uh, Diane Hughes of Halls Harley-Davidson in Springfield that is in mint condition. And it's going to be on the, it's going, it's being auctioned this week on our Facebook auctions as well. Lots of different ways that people can get the memorabilia that we offer. And we go back to Sammy Tanner, to Mert Lawwell, um, Chuck Joyner, uh, just, you know, it's not, certainly not just the stars of today. It's the stars from the 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, we are able to get memorabilia from all eras of flat track. Cool. Tell me the tell me the the Facebook page again, and also tell me the new updated website. The Facebook page, Scotty, is AMA Pro Flat Track Rookie Class of '79 and Friends. Okay. Um, we're currently at 5,700 uh, uh, likes or followers, and that's we're very proud of that because it's organic. We've never boosted or paid for anything. That's actual people that that actually go there and look at it. So we're pretty proud of that. The website is amaft79.com, and that's the that's the location where we do special fundraisers. We're currently we have a special fundraiser on there right now for Parker Norris. There's still we're still collecting monies to help Dominic Calendris and his unfortunate ongoing health issues due to a crash uh, uh, a couple years ago now at Peoria. So a lot of stuff to see. Um, they can donate to the operating funds of the of the charity. They can donate to the van fund. We have a van fund. You mentioned earlier um, a lot of changes in the charity, and one of the biggest changes uh, was the fact that we now have a 2017 ProMaster that we're able to haul all of the memorabilia and shirts and stuff that we sell from race to race. This is the first time in my life, actually, at 57 years old, that I'm going to get to go to every event on the series. Even as a touring professional, as a young man, I always missed a few events, unfortunately. It might have been the West Coast swing at the end of the year, but I never got to do the whole entire thing. So a big, big blessing for me is that I'm going to every AFT event on the calendar. But the neat thing about the van is, over the last couple of years, you and I have done several interviews at events, and I used to fly to the city, get a rent a car, come to the racetrack, and I'd talk with you a little bit on the mic, and we'd tell people the website address and the Facebook and 
We'd raise a little bit of money at each and every event. If we were lucky, we maybe were getting $1,000 per event. Scotty, with the addition of the charity van, which was made mostly possible, in fact, it was 100% possible by the names that are on the van. Tim Estenson of Estenson Racing made a major investment into the operating expense of the Class of 79's charity because he believed in our mission. So he put forth a huge sum of money to cover all of the operating expenses and help get this thing off the ground. Bought our booth that we have at each and every event, our trade show booth, which is a a 10 by 20, beautiful, easy up, pop up, basically retail store. We have two monitors in there showing AFT events, live feeds from Fans Choice where we get to listen to you and watch the races because I no longer get to see many races from anywhere other than tent. But then with Motion Pro, Wells Fargo, we've now got a non-motorcycle entity behind us. Tom Duma Fine Jewelers, uh, Jackie Mitchell's family's auto dealership, Bell Helmets, all of those people made financial contributions, Indian motorcycles, which made it possible to purchase the vehicle without taking any funds away from injured riders or benefits. And and the other blessing is, is that 100% of all the expense money to get the vehicle to each and every race is in the bank. So when we go to the races and we're raising money, we're raising money for injured riders because the expenses are paid for. So Mr. Essenson, Wells Fargo, Indian, everybody, like I said, that's on the side of the van is what made that possible. Awesome. Good stuff right there for sure. One thing I wanted to talk about too is is Parker Norris, who got hurt a little over three weeks ago. He's still in uh, you know, in recovery right now. And I saw a big check from Terry Vance. I mean, $25,000. And um, what people might not understand, Charlie, is that that 25000 is going to go to help out his mom, who's been at his side every day. She can no longer work because she wants to be there with Parker. And that's going to go for his rent. And then, you know, when he gets better, it's going to help him get home. You know, if he needs a van to get home or if he needs a ride home, there's, there's so many other little things that we don't think about. So you're still trying to raise money for Parker, correct? Absolutely, Scotty. I mean, we initially had a goal of $50,000 to aid that family. And I can tell you, I guess it's been a little over a year now that Morgan Monroe was injured. And we raised a considerable sum of money for her family and what her mother always thanked us because right now, Parker's, you know, I mean, he's he's in the hospital, but there's going to come a time when rehabilitation starts. And I can tell you that with Morgan Monroe, their health insurance didn't cover the rehabilitation that they wanted because they wanted her to regain 100% of her abilities in life. So they chose some alternative therapies and it's worked. Well, health insurance doesn't pay for everything and especially when it starts coming to therapies and then different type of therapies. So funds are needed. But the other thing you know, I, I hope and pray that Parker is, is able to walk and talk and joke and have fun with us. And I talked to his mom the other day and I said, you know, if there's any way possible, you know, he's going to want to get back on a motorcycle. She said, I know it, Charlie. And, uh, I mean, that's just kind of who we are and we have to, that's, that's who we are. But, uh, but hopefully, or there's also a possibility that he may want to go to a trade school or go to college and, you know, he's still probably a year away from, from a life of normalcy. So they need way more than what we currently have. And yes, I, as much as I appreciate Mr. Vance's unbelievable donation, it seems to have maybe made people think that we're good or we have enough. And I can certainly tell you that that's not the case. Sherry Norris has been in a hotel across the street from the hospital, and that's currently open-ended on the class of 79, um, that's what we do. We don't care. She's there as long as she needs to be there. So those funds that are coming in are going towards that. So please keep the donations coming for Parker. Our goals are huge, but his needs are huge. So, uh, and again, Absolutely. a big shout out, uh, a big shout out to Mr. Terry Vance for stepping up in the way that he did. And that Scotty, that came from, he was watching little Chaz and I sell raffle tickets at New York. And I can tell you that I would have never believed that my son and I could sell 4,000 raffle tickets in one day. That's the most raffle tickets we've ever sold at any event. And Rhiannon helped him a little bit. But me and little Chaz walked around, told people what we were doing it for. And so Terry called me over and uh, asked me about Parker and what was going on with him. And then he said, 
He said, I watch you week in and week out. I'd like to make a donation. He said, I'd like to give you $10,000 for the Norris family. He said, I really appreciate all that you're doing for the sport. Just so coming from 14 time national NHRA champion, uh, Mr. Vance is, is certainly a, a legend in the sport of motorcycling. And when, again, kind of like the Britlinger Award, when someone of that stature acknowledges your efforts and shows that they believe in what you're doing, the satisfaction and the gratitude that I get from knowing that people of that level of importance, a Tim Estenson or a Wells Fargo or a Vance and Hines, that are buying into our mission and, and have enough belief and trust in our organization to make major donations. It, it's pretty special. I, I agree 100%. You know, that's such good stuff. And, and what you guys do to help injured riders is just amazing. And it continues to amaze me. So we're at the part of our episode right now when we call it Graham's question. And it's not much of a question, but she, she wants to know. She said her heart breaks for all of the fallen riders. You know, she goes, she's been going to races for, you know, I don't even know how long. She always has to be the first one there. But she wants to know if, if we can just help with money for these fallen riders or is there anything else we can do to help these fallen riders? Well, Scotty, I tell you what, the direction that the charity is leaning right now, um, and I'm actually gaining some traction with this. I had a very nice conversation with Michael Locke, the, the CEO of American Flat Track at Lima, and Dayanese Leathers and Alpine Stars are trying to make a difference in the sport. Um, I know there's being discussions uh, in, in the sport right now about mandatory chest protection, because I can tell you that over the past few years, the, the majority of injuries are th- what's called thoracic, which is heart, lung, chest cavity injuries. And I don't know what's made the big transition because in our day, um, and I believe even your day when you were racing biggest fear, the biggest injury was head injury which airbags have certainly made an impact on. But right now, the majority of injuries and the majority of serious injuries in our sport are chest cavity injuries. So to answer Graham's question, there is actually a group of individuals that are purchasing chest protectors for um, young racers in California. I believe the gentleman's name is Randy Kremlicek, and it's West Coast Flat Track Association. So... People can actually reach out and make a difference uh, with that by helping to purchase the younger kids or people that can't afford them chest protecting uh, chest protective devices. So um, that's certainly one way that we can help riders. But uh, something else that many flat track fans are currently in possession of memorabilia that they've collected over the years. I've actually had families contact me and say, Hey, this was dad's collection. And you know, it's not really our passion and we don't want it. There has been people that have donated lifelong connect collections to the charity. So there's a lot of different ways that people can help besides just donating their money. We're always looking for volunteers at the events. Like I said, just like with the 50 50 that me and little Chaz did and getting, getting a hold of me and asking a question is certainly, is certainly one way. Love it. Love it. I think, you know, maybe part of the reason the head injuries may have gone down is the helmet technology continues to get better. So I think that's part of it, but, uh, uh it's time for our favorite part of the episode is the rapid fire question. So I'm going to ask you a question. You answer me, whatever comes to mind first. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. What is your favorite motorcycle you ever raced? An XR 750. Okay. What's your favorite racetrack? Middletown, New York. All right. I was thinking you'd say Springfield Mile, but I, I got you on that one. You already explained why. So who's an up-and-coming rider that we need to be keeping an eye on? Boy, I like Cameron Smith. His uh, his tenacity, and he, he rides with all of his heart. I, I'd say keep an eye on Cameron Smith. All right. What about an amateur that we may have may or may not have heard from? Do you, you keep an eye on the amateur ranks as well? Absolutely. Dallas Daniels is my favorite pick on that, and I've actually... Dallas is currently uh, doing some Moto America stuff, and I know he's got Wayne Rainey's eye um, because he's one of the few, like Wayne, like Eddie Lawson, like Kevin Schwantz, uh, that comes from a dirt track background and learned to slide a motorcycle around. Um, And I think I'm hoping and praying that we get to see Dallas Daniels be. His goal was to beat Scotty Parker's record in national uh, first and grand national championship at the youngest age. 
I hope that he doesn't get snagged away and go to uh, go to Europe and go road racing, but certainly one to watch, Dallas Daniels. Yeah, I love that. I, I talked to him when he was little, and, and I said, what's your goals in flat track? He said, I want to beat every one of Scotty Parker's records. So that's some pretty high goals, and, and if anybody can do it, I think it's him. But you're right, if he doesn't get snagged up to go road racing. So last one for you. Who is the best golfer in flat track? Wow. Current or all time? All time. I mean, anybody. I mean, you got you have golf tournaments all the time. So who's the best one that shows up at your golf tournaments, and who's who's the best one, you think? The rider, I'd probably have to say Parker is the current best rider. If you were to ask me all time, I, I think that Ricky Graham was probably one of the all-time greatest golfers. Ricky was a natural at everything that he did, and uh, and he certainly loved the game of golf. But today, uh, out of all the riders that I've played with, I'd have to say Scotty Parker is the best golfer. Love it. Charlie Roberts, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for what you do to the sport of flat track and and continue doing what you're doing and keep raising money for those people that, that unfortunately get hurt in the greatest sport in the world. So, Charlie, thanks a lot, man. Scotty, just one last shout-out. I'd like to make a big shout-out to American Flat Track because they have also been a big part of our uh, of our growth and, and statue in, in American Flat Track. Um, we are now the official charity of American Flat Track. That was made possible through Michael Locke and the sport. Um, they also support us financially by putting the schedule on the back of the charity van. So they're one of the van supporters as well. You and I have been involved in this sport for a long time. I was here during what would have to be called the heydays, the camel pro days and the Winston pro days. And then we've seen a kind of a falling off and a deterioration of our sport. And I would have to say that I'm more excited today than I've been in a number of years about the current health of American flat track and the direction that we're going. Just like the fact that right now our stars were in England and it should being showcased worldwide with some of the greatest stars in motorsports history. So big shout out to Michael Locke, Gene Crouch, and everybody at American flat track for all they're doing to better improve, uh, make stars of everything that you and I love, which is American flat track. Charlie Roberts, man. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you at the races. Have a great day, buddy. Thanks to Charlie for his time and his dedication to helping others. As always, want to thank you for listening as well. Smash that like button, give us a follow on Facebook, and tell all of your two-wheel friends to check us out. I'm off to rock the mic here in Minneapolis. Talk to you next week.